welcome to Crimes from the East, your Desi true crime podcast where we talk about Indian and South Asian criminal cases as well as other curious tales from the East. So, hey, Alex. Hello. Glad you could join me once again for another episode. I think you might be stuck with me at this point. <laughs> I'm having too much fun, but also learning a lot, more importantly. I'm very glad to have you, Alex. Because me reading these cases by myself, no one wants to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear it. No, but I want to also wildly speculate with you, always. That's the whole point of the <laughs> podcast, wild speculation. Hey, you. You like true crime? You like true crime from the East? Well, why don't you hop on over to the West for a change and check out True Crime in the 50, a bi-weekly podcast by our friend Katie. Yeah, she covers true crime cases from each of the 50 states of America. And you know what? There's so many fun facts about that state, stuff you've never heard of. Trust me. Like, like, did you know in Carmel, California, it is illegal to eat ice cream on the sidewalk? And you need to get a permit to wear heels higher than two inches. Come on. What the hell? What the hell, Carmel? <laughs> I'm buying a ticket right now. I'm flying over to Carmel. I'm going to be licking two ice creams in six-inch heels. Hell yes. Come get me, <laughs> Carmel. <laughs> I think we're about to be banned from Carmel, California. Good. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you, Katie, for telling us about crazy laws of Carmel like that. And for other such curious quirks from state to state, along with a detailed true crime case in each episode, check out True Crime in the 50 on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. I can't wait to hear about the true crimes from Arizona. Oh, it's Jody Arias. That's like kind of my state, I guess. And New Hampshire. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of crazy stuff going on around here. Oh, yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Check out True Crime in the 50. True Crime in the 50. Check it out. Alex, guess what? What? We're out of Bengal. Oh, my God. What are we? Uh, We're so lost. What? I don't even know what my frame of reference is going to be. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, today we're going a little bit to the west of India. We're discussing a case from the state of Gujarat. Ah, oh, I know some Gujaratis. I think you mm -hmm. do too, right? Yeah, 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 I do. I wink, do. wink. <laughs> yep. It's it's a case from 2003. So it's a while okay. back. It's it's almost what 17 years old at this point. It's crazy that it's that long ago. I mean, mm -hmm. Time flies. 2000s seemed so hot at the moment, and now they're starting to feel cold. Yeah, today we're going to talk about the Valentine's Day murder of Sajini Krishnan. On February 14, 2003, couples in the city of Ahmedabad in Gujarat were waking up to the promise of a beautiful and romantic new day. Romantic. But... Sadly for one family, the nightmare would just begin when they would get a call about the murder of their beloved daughter, Sajini, who had just gotten married like three months ago. Today we talk about her case, about Sajini Krishnan. That's a very sad valent. That's a blue valentine, I mm, think. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess Valentine's Day is sort of an imported holiday in India. Yes, and it's also very heavily protested against, like a lot of the more, I don't know what to call them, but the communal brigade. 
okay. of the country is against any sort of Western. Not the nationalists, um, right? <laughs> I don't know what to call them. Uh, Let's just call them the communal brigade. Okay. And they're kind of against all of these imported Western celebrations yeah. of any kind. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how dare you? You know, how dare young lovers or old lovers celebrate anything? It's it's a no-no. Too much PDA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how dare you fall in love? Just shut up and get married. Yeah. Who, who needs love? Oh, <laughs> People should get to celebrate whatever, however they like. Yeah, I mean. It doesn't matter if it's part of your culture or not. If it's a fun thing, go ahead. Exactly. Just do it. Yeah, amen. Namaste. Yeah, namaste. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about Ahmedabad. Have you been there, Alex? I don't think so. I can tell you a little bit about it. Please do. Uh, from Wikipedia first. <laughs> Ahmedabad is the capital city of the state of Gujarat, which is in the west of India. It's an old city with origins dating back to the 11th century. So it's an old, old city. The city has had many rulers over the times. So it's had a Hindu Chalukya dynasty in the 11th century to the Islamic Delhi Sultanate rule in the 14th century. Mm. There's been like a mix of totally diverse communities and traditions, which make it a rather interesting melting pot of cultures. Mm -hmm. If the name of Gujarat seems familiar to you, it might be because this is the birthplace of Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, yeah, of course. Yep. The world famous uh, Sabarmati Ashram is in Ahmedabad, where Mahatma Gandhi stayed with his followers and formulated and strategized the independence movement for India. Is it just me or is Gujarat actually underrepresented on like the world? I don't know. Well, no, no, no. There's so many Gujaratis all over India and the world. No, but I feel like people don't actually know about Gujarat or Gujarati or even if you tell them that Mm. Gandhi is from there. Like maybe that's just me projecting my ignorance, but... Yeah, like it's not like you hear that much about the state of Gujarat itself. However, the people of Gujarat are everywhere. Like, yeah. yes, maybe Gujarat itself as a state isn't known that much. It doesn't outside. have like the name recognition as like Bombay or Mumbai or Delhi or Calcutta or yeah. I don't know, even yeah. Pondicherry. Uh, it may be due to lack of tourism. It's not a state you would head to mm-hmm. as a tourist when you come to India. Like their tourism department needs to spruce things up a bit. Does it though? (laughs) Doesn't tourism kind of low-key ruin everything? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. No. Okay. Over time, Ahmedabad established itself as the home of a developing textile industry, which earned it the nickname of Manchester of the East. Oh, Okay. So skilled artisans and workers from all over India seeking employment in that industry migrated there 40 years ago. Okay. Uh, one such family was that of Ramani and O. Krishnan, who moved to Ahmedabad from the southern state of Kerala. I know you've been there. Yes. That was nice. Krishnan worked in the Calico textile mill and Ramani was a state bank employee. Together, they raised two daughters, Rajani and Sajani. Sajani was the younger of the two siblings, and she was a good student. She graduated with a commerce degree and was a diploma holder in accountancy. She was excited to be financially independent. She landed a well-paying job, a stable job, at a private bank in Ahmedabad. 
She was a reserved person and owing to her traditional upbringing, chose to find a husband through an arranged marriage, as is commonly done all over India. Yeah. So typically, a family would use matchmakers or rely on the good word from family and friends to find prospective partners for their sons or daughters. Great care is taken to match them on various socioeconomic aspects as well as on Hindu Vedic charts Mm -hmm. to see if their stars align favorably. It sounds a little archaic, but you know what? It's worked for millions of couples. Yeah, and I think actually this is what the rest of the world might be missing for those people who maybe are anxious about like going out and finding love on their own or, you know, they just want stability or they want help from their community. It's not the worst idea. It's just kind of if you're forced into doing it, that's maybe not so Mm. nice. Or if you end up with someone who you don't like, but if you can kind of rally your like community to help you find a partner for life, why not? (laughs) I guess the key word is choice. Mm -hmm. As long as it's your choice, as long as you're not forced into Mm -hmm. it and you're open to it, you're willing to do it. I'm sure it's a great technique or method of finding someone. It's not just two families meeting and figuring things out. It's a whole community helping you vet that other family, their history, Mm -hmm. their background, you know, are they criminals in their past and Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. There's definitely a lot of like areas of potential problematic issues there, but I think the idea of Formally arranging yeah. Yeah, yeah. a union isn't so bad. Like, it's fine. It's It works mm-hmm. when done right. It works. Yeah. Okay. And marriages do last. Most marriages do last. Yeah. This is just one of the ways that two people can meet. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, totally. I don't know if it's unique to India. I don't know if other countries have this arranged marriage system. I'm sure they do. Yeah, I mean. I'm sure they do. I think most countries at some point had an arranged marriage system. It was, or it was just like Mm -hmm. selling off the daughter to whoever wanted to, like, whoever (laughs) had the most goats. Most goats. Ah, Bringing it back. Every episode, I think we're going to have to find a way to mention this goat thing. (laughs) I mean, where there are women in India, there are goats out there who are dedicated to buying them, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I didn't have an arranged marriage, so I don't have any anecdotes to share about it. But what I can tell you is that the minute a daisy person hits that tender age bracket of 22 to 25, everyone and their mother starts asking you, like, when are you getting married? (laughs) It's so annoying. As if there's nothing else left in your life to explore and achieve. Yeah. You have to get married. You just, if you don't, something is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Like, you're the outlier. (laughs) It's a huge next step in a young person's life. Mm -hmm. And the community around them is very, like, gung-ho about seeing it through. Why? You might call it oppressive. (laughs) Not, like, oppressive, but, like, uh, claustrophobic about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I was lucky. I never had that pressure. People were like, oh, Alex <laughs> has a job. Well, we can't ask anything more. <laughs> yeah. You know, my personal hot take. Mm-hmm. I'm kidding, but I think they just like the three day long fancy wedding parties and celebrations and stuff and all the good food I mean, and the alcohol. I yeah. think that's what they want. It's the like riches and glory of matrimony. Okay, that was a little bit about our Desi Shadi arranged marriage system, okay? 
So back to Sajani's story. One fine day, her parents receive a rather favorable rishta or prospective groom for Sajani. It was a young man called Tarun Jinaraj who was recommended to the family by Sajani's co-workers at the bank. So this typically happens. If you're from a certain community, like they were from Kerala, so they may have had other people from their home state who they were friendly with and they knew someone of that tender age bracket and they're like, okay, maybe maybe we should introduce him to that family. And if, if things work out, maybe Sajani can get married. So this happens all the time. It's very common. Everyone mm-hmm. has an eye out. Kind of like, who is that in Fiddler on the Roof? Yenta. Was her name Yenta? I don't know. I never saw it. What? I'm Get really uncultured. Here. Just in general. Oh. Not even about Daisy stuff. Just like the world. What is it? Who's in it? What are they doing? I don't know. <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof has a character called Yenta who's a matchmaker. She does the same thing. Okay. I think Jewish communities definitely still have a lot of matchmaking even today. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's another community we forgot to mention. They mm-hmm. have matchmaking built in to their culture too. Have you seen this Netflix show that was uh, like Indian matchmaker? The matchmaker? Yes. Yes, I did see it. It was so entertaining. Yeah, I I liked it a lot. Very. It was just pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. I had a Brazilian friend recommend it to me. That's how far removed I am from my Indian roots is that like people from Brazil are telling me what I should watch <laughs> related to Indian culture. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I'm glad you're getting an education. Maybe you yeah. should release an album. What was that? Never too old to learn. The Miseducation of Alex. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. This guy that Sajini's parents were sent the resume of Tarun. He was a physical education instructor at a well-established institution, and his family was also from the same community in Kerala as Krishnan and Ramani. So right away, on paper, everything looks good. They're probably mm-hmm. from the same caste or whatever that traditional families look to match in such situations. Are are these Malayalis? Is that a... Yes. Yeah? Okay. Yes. So they were all Malayali. They were all uh, Malayali from Kerala. Yeah, they were all Keralites. Okay. So Tarun comes over to visit the family and soon he won over everyone with his charm and politeness. And respect for elders is very important in India. And Tarun was like the star future Mm son-in-law when it comes to being respectful. Sajani found Tarun an acceptable partner and she was excited to (sighs) perhaps start a new life with him together. Okay. Strong word. Strong feeling. Acceptable. Yeah, because it's not like they were dating and walking around hand in hand and going to movies and sneaking out to have, you know, private moments. Nope. You get maybe a couple weeks or months to meet and greet. Just... Yeah, like uh, respectfully talk over the phone and meet usually with chaperones till you get married. I mean, of course, there are exceptions to the rule everywhere. And mm-hmm. we're just talking about the usual traditional setup of an yeah. arranged marriage. So the families met, they decided to bless the alliance. And so 26-year-old Sajani and 28-year-old Tarun were married in November of 2002. After they got married... They moved into an apartment together and Sajani continued to work for the bank. Tarun was working on and off as a PE instructor. So they both kind of had their lives set for reasonably normal marriage, normal life. But problems did emerge almost immediately 
as Tarun did a complete turnaround and was very cold and distant from Sajini, like right from the start. So we've got another two-faced sort of scam artist guy. Like a piece of garbage Mm -hmm. type of guy. Okay. Well, we don't know yet, but let's see how it turns out. Like there was no honeymoon period for this couple. There was no romance like you would expect between two young lovers getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Things were very, very standoffish, like in those early weeks. Sajni did talk to her parents about it. And she said that Tarun's behavior was a little odd. And she mentioned that he would ask her to hand over her salary, like the minute she would get it. And he seemed mostly interested in spending her money than spending time with her. Well, I was going to say a P instructor versus a bank job. She must have been the like major bread earner. I'm sure her salary was more than his. I mean, like any other Desi parents would do like in such a new situation, like a new marriage, like her parents advised her to be patient and try her best to mend their situation and mend the relation as well as she could. Um, when they spoke to Tarun, he was polite as ever. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't connect. They couldn't reconcile what she was saying to what they were seeing. Mm. Tarun would just reassure them and be like, yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. To the outside world, it would seem like these were just the initial trials and tribulations of an arranged marriage and that the couple would soon find their common ground to walk on as a happy couple. However, in reality, things were not good. In Mm. fact, they were on the verge of collapse the couple were heading to a devastating event in a matter of months. The week after they tied the knot, Tarun had already asked Sajani to consider a mutual divorce. What? Yeah, just weeks after they got married. why? Would he have gained something from that? Like alimony? Just from getting married? Yeah. Dowry. Dowry. First of all. Okay. Yeah. Dowry is very common in a lot of Indian... Arranged marriages, it is especially rampant in South India. It is considered almost... Obligatory. Obligatory for sure. Like the girl's parents have to provide something, Mm -hmm. some monetary resources to the groom and his family. It's either cash or jewelry or property or cars and bikes and things like that. Sometimes the demands just never stop. It sucks. Till people stop doing it, it'll just never end because it's a cash cow. Why would you stop it? But it's also like a point of status, whatever, I guess. Yeah, there's like a rate chart almost. Like if the groom works in so-and-so industry and gets such a salary, then you have to give this much dowry. It's shitty. If the groom's in U.S., like say if he's a software fellow and he's now posted in the u.s for a short stint his dowry rate doubles so many goats yeah 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 that's terrible i hope it dies out in our lifetime yeah yeah. me too i guess old traditions die hard but they'll die they'll die i'm Mm -hmm. optimistic so he wanted a divorce like a week after they got married super fishy because yep he sounds like a gaslighter probably Mm-hmm. Um, and a con artist of some kind, just like Biren from last week. Just a guy who was up to no good. I mean, this is so out of the blue. Who does that? You get married, all la-di-da, let's get married. 
Yeah. And in, in, in Indian society, it's a big thing to get married. It's not as casual yeah. as you might see in other places in the world where, okay, you got married, you can get it annulled and move on. It's not that way. So, mm-hmm. Well, benefit of the doubt or playing devil's mm-hmm. advocate or whatever. Maybe he just realized he made a huge mistake somehow. But let's see how the story goes first because I think mm-hmm. I need to see where this is going. Because at this point, I'm just sort of like, what? When Tarun tells her about this divorce idea, Sajani is shocked and shattered and she refuses the idea. She suggests that they work on whatever issues they have or they think that they have. Divorce was not a viable option, especially in the traditional community that they were part of. 20 years ago, right? This is almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Divorce would almost always leave the woman in a disadvantaged position in Indian society And she would have had a hard time finding a partner again, even Mm -hmm. though she was young. Because questions would be raised about her and not the What did she do? She's a woman. In one week, I don't think she could have done that much or would have had to be really bad. Yeah, it is a patriarchal society. So she would be at the losing end of that equation. (sighs) It's not an easy decision to take for her. Thankfully, things have improved a lot. And the stigma attached to divorce is not as severe as it used to be. That's good. I'm sure in some communities it is. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, people who need to get out of a marriage for whatever reason, they can Mm -hmm. and rebuild their lives with normalcy. And I'm glad for that. Me too. I'm glad that the community and the people of India are moving forward and, you know, letting people live their lives as they deserve to. Yeah. In 2002... Sajni was wrought with the troubles brewing in her marriage, still just weeks old, mind you. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing that she had done or said to push away Tarun. Yet he wanted out of the relationship before it had even taken roots. What was it that was driving a wedge between them? Well, the truth is that Tarun was still deeply in love with a former girlfriend. (gasps) Oh, you know, I was thinking, actually, that it was going to be something like this. Either he, you know, was gay or in love with another woman or there was Mm -hmm. something. Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised. Because a con artist won't stir the pot like this. You wait, you plant the seed and then you let it at least like grow a bit, avoid suspicion. Yeah, totally. But Tarun, he was willing to do everything. Anything and everything to be with that ex, even if it meant that he had to commit a crime. Let's rewind a little bit into Tarun's past and take a look at what led to this fork in the path for the newlyweds, okay? So I'm not really connecting the dots totally. Like, okay, that's a good reason to break up with someone, but why did he marry this person in the first place if he had, like, another love? Okay, let's go. Exactly, yeah. Tarun's parents were also from the southern Indian state of Kerala. But they settled in the Midwest of India, in the state of Madhya Pradesh. And by all accounts, theirs was a normal family with no reports of any unusual events or circumstances taking place. So they were a regular Desi family living in Madhya Pradesh. Tarun and his younger brother moved to Ahmedabad to study, and they eventually found jobs there. Tarun was a physical education instructor, and he was an avid basketball player. That was like his thing. Following his passion for the sport, Tarun took part in many local basketball games. And one such game was a mixed team. So co-ed teams, like guys Ooh. and girls together, where he met his ex-girlfriend. 
I mean, that's cute. Yeah, it's kind of cute. It's a, it's a meat cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so her name has never been officially disclosed in public. And I can't keep calling her his ex and his ex. So for this episode, we'll refer to her as Asha. Okay, like just a random name I've picked okay. out of a hat. Asha. Tarun and Asha soon became friends. And their romance blossomed into a secret relationship for nearly four years. They had a secret relationship for four years. This is also something that is very common in India, like in traditional communities. Uh, When couples are in a relationship of their own making, not an arranged one, Mm -hmm. they keep it secret because they don't want their families to know that they're out there Mm -hmm. hobnobbing. Well, not hobnobbing. Canoodling. <laughs> Ooh, canoodling. <laughs> yeah, right? no. Sneaking around. Well, mm-hmm. no, Sneaking that around. Too. They're just like living their lives, but on the down low, which I guess is fun, but it also sucks. Yeah. Things were going great for them until Tarun's mother found out about them. And she was furious. She was against the whole idea because Asha was not from their community. Asha was Parsi. Oh, insert dramatic Bollywood, like, dun, dun, dun. and then the mm-hmm. mother crying and the, yes. like, how dare you do this to, to our family? You're dramatic lighting. Mm-hmm. The sun starts to cry. Mm-hmm. People are turning around very quickly. Yeah. Slapping each other. All kinds Yikes. of dramatic crap. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just a side note for our listeners who are not aware of uh, what Parsis are. Parsis are a Zoroastrian community originally from Persia, but they fled from persecution and eventually settled in India, in the state of Gujarat, somewhere in 600 CE. So they've been in India for almost, what, like a thousand years? More, 1400 Mm -hmm. years or so. Mm -hmm. Parsis have incorporated Indian culture into their own and they're kind of unique in that way. They have maintained their own religious beliefs and community, but adopted parts of Indian culture into their own. No matter where they are in India, they speak Gujarati as their um, native tongue. Okay. Opposition to relationships outside of one's religion and community is very common in India, especially Mm -hmm. in traditional or rural households. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some couples give in and they break off their uh, relationships, agreeing to marry whoever their parents pick. And some couples are committed enough or brave enough to hold their ground and they elope. They make it on their own. Love marriage. Like there have been many catastrophic conclusions to couples eloping against the will of the family. Mm -hmm. And this is, I guess uniquely desi phenomenon of honor killing which is inhumane and barbaric where families will pursue the couple and kill them just out of spite pretty much after they do that you just want to say well was it worth it you just lost the child that you raised and loved for its entire life i mean if you ask those lunatics for them it was worth it my honor Yeah, their honor, their honor. I don't know what the hell their honors were was worth. Mm. They're just delusional, yeah, delusional lunatics, in my opinion. There's no honor to be yeah. preserved or restored by killing another person. So that would be a very sad but interesting subgenre of true crime in mm. itself. I think. 
So all of those honor-bound people can go right off to hell. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that severe a condition here, but, you know, Tarun was not one to stand up to his mother. He was kind of a mama's boy, and his mom said, nope. So he said, fine, okay, fine, mom. Whatever you say. Uh, Okay, yeah. Pictures starting to come together. He agreed to break it off with Asha and get married to a girl of his parents' choice from their community. That girl just happened to be Sajani. Secretly, though, he harbored feelings of regret and resentment Mm -hmm. towards the whole ordeal. And actually, Asha and Tarun continued their secret relationship, even despite him talking to Sajani and their families discussing the marriage and everything. They kept in touch over phone calls. Mm -hmm. So one day, when Tarun and Asha are speaking, Asha tells him that she too is now getting married soon. (gasps) Through an arranged marriage in a few months. Mm -hmm. This is actually the point when Tarun agreed to marry Sajani, thinking his relationship with Asha has come to an inescapable end and there's no way forward for them whatsoever. She's getting married, so fine, I'll get married too and we'll kind of part ways. I bet he didn't like that. So he gets married to Sajani first. Mm -hmm. A few days after the wedding... Tarun called Asha again, of course, because why wouldn't he not? But he was shocked this time to hear that her arranged marriage had not gone through. A glimmer of hope. The fact that Asha was still single while Tarun was now trapped in a marriage that he had no interest in hit Mm. him like a ton of bricks. Asha's cancelled marriage gave Tarun a glimmer of hope that they could have they're happily ever after. If somehow he could extricate himself from his marriage. Okay, well, it all lines up, doesn't it? What an idiot. Instead of kind of making peace with the decision that him and his family and Sajini and her family have now taken. Yeah. This guy's getting desperate like, oh no, my girlfriend is still single. She's still available. Cowardice. He created the situation. Ugh. Okay, so then what happened? So this is when he approached Sajani with the idea for an amicable divorce, which she refused. Sajani was ready to accept him flaws and all like any Indian wife would usually do, right? Like it makes one wonder why she didn't just leave. But remember that this is happening in a society where she would not be accepted with arms wide open if she did walk out. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't an easy or quick decision for her. Maybe over time... She may have agreed. We don't know. Like, yeah, it's only been a few weeks. Yeah. Right? Like she's thinking in her mind, we'll work this out, whatever it is. Maybe we'll fall in love. We'll make it work. This guy is just at a whole level of desperation, which which she wasn't aware of, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we don't know if this is simply Tarun's version of things or, or if it's confirmed by Sajani's parents uh, that she was asked for a divorce. Okay. In the articles that I read, it isn't clear Okay. if Sajni and the divorce, if that was something she discussed with her family and confirmed about it, or if this mm-hmm. is just something that Tarun's telling us. Yeah, to try and justify himself or, again, extricate himself from a situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All in all, the stakes were very high for Sajni to make things work. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to ask, if she didn't know... That he was in love with someone else. Maybe he wasn't fully open about the situation. But even if he did tell her, I'm in love with someone else, da-da-da, 
she would have I my natural reaction would have been like, well, why the hell are we married then? Mm. Um and what am I supposed to do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. I'm a woman in this patriarchal society. Like I am at the uh the mercy of the norms, the powers that be. Like Yeah, you would try to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that's exactly what she did. She was trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy was just out of control at this mm-hmm. point. He hatched a plan to get rid of his unsuspecting innocent wife. He kept things cordial for a while and he maintained good relations with the family too. But in his heart burnt the old flame for Asha. And the two apparently still talked on the phone often. I don't know what he told her, but he made it seem like it wouldn't be too long before he would have Sajani out of his life and they would be able to be a couple again. Asha probably didn't know what his devious plans were exactly, which is why she kept talking to him on the phone. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We'd hope so. (laughs) Yeah, we hope so. (laughs) Don't want her to be a, yeah, go ahead, murder your wife, then we can be together. Nice couple. I guess they would have been perfect for each other in that case, but. Yeah, but yeah, we're just speculating, so we don't know. Maybe she was totally innocent. We'll give her the benefit of the doubt. So the fateful day arrives, 14th of Feb, 2003, not even a full three months from their wedding day. It's two months and so many weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. Sajani is busy as usual with her morning routine, getting ready for work. At 7.30 a.m., Tarun tells her that he's going over to his brother's home to personally invite them over for dinner that evening. Sajani agrees and she carries on with her chores. And Tarun quickly leaves the home. I've sourced the material for this episode from various news articles and I couldn't find a few details mentioned anywhere like What time the body was discovered? Was it after Tarun came back from work? Or if he even had a job on that day? And was he expected to be at home or at work at what time? I mean, in the big picture, it doesn't matter. But And plus, the case is still in court at this time. So which might explain the lack of exact case details. But I apologize for that. I apologize that we don't have those minor details in this case. But let's move to the point when Tarun returns home. Mm-hmm. And he discovers his front door open and the home completely ransacked. Okay. He runs to the bedroom where he finds Sajani laying lifeless on the bed with a scarf, which in Hindi is called a dupatta, uh-huh. wound tightly around her neck. <gasps> Wait, what? This is his testimonial? Yes. Okay. The gold necklace that she always wore was split in two and lying next to her. There was some cash and air tickets lying on the floor near the bed. Sajani was supposed to fly the next day for work-related training. However, she had been strangled to death just before she left for work that morning. Tarun screamed out and called out to his neighbors, who rushed in to help. And then, very dramatically, in front of them, he fainted, apparently, from the shock of the whole thing. He was taken to the hospital and kept under observation for the night. And the the local police were called to handle the case from that point onward. And on first glance, it looked kind of like a robbery gone horribly wrong. Right? Yeah, because they forgot to rob all the stuff. They left the necklace, the cash, plane tickets, like... Yeah, okay. ransacked house means robbery, right? That's what it looks right. like. Sounds staged to me. 
Yep. So the local police arrived with sniffer dogs and they collected whatever little evidence they could find to support the robbery angle. But there was no forced entry. The gold jewelry and cash were left untouched. And this made the investigating officer a little suspicious that all is not as it seems. Okay. So while theft and home invasion are not uncommon in India, it is definitely uncommon at 8 a.m. in the morning in a very busy building with 200 apartments in close proximity. In such cases, right, the husband or partner is always the first suspect. And even here, the police had their eyes set on Tarun as their first point of investigation. Okay. They sought to either eliminate or confirm him as the main suspect, but they need to talk to him, right? They need to interrogate him first to get all the details. Next morning, Sajani's body was returned to the family for last rites after an autopsy was performed. The manner of death was ruled as asphyxiation or strangulation, thus homicide. Sajani's parents and close family members were all present and were heartbroken to see their daughter in this state. So much promise and such an innocent life now lost for no fault, absolutely no fault of her own. Yeah. No apparent reason. Tarun had been discharged from medical care as well, and he was there present to receive Sajani's body. On seeing her, as any husband would understandably do, he burst out crying inconsolably. The sniffer dog from the crime scene the day before were brought in, and they started to bark aggressively when they passed by Tarun. Uh, now, honestly, I don't know what to make of this piece of information. Like, mm-hmm. Tarun lived in the home with Sajani, right? Like, yeah. his scent, his DNA yeah. is bound to be on everything, including the dupatta that she was strangled with. But they also say that dogs can sense murderous intent, like murderous nature. Yeah, I mean, you can't take them to court with that, though. Maybe you can take them to doggy court. Doggy court? So, like, bark <laughs> once if you kill someone. <laughs> Your Honor. Judge Pickles, I would like to state something. Woof. Judicious. Woof. <laughs> Woof. Case closed. You did it. Okay. Yeah, I don't I kind of think that if they were told to smell for his the scent that was gonna be in the house everywhere, it kinda it's nothing, probably. Mm. As everyone was leaving the hospital. Some people noticed that Tarun was now acting totally normal. Like once he's outside the hospital and in the parking lot getting into his car, he looked totally normal. And some even said that he smiled as he sat into his car to leave, which was odd at that time. I mean, of course, people grieve differently. But who would smile to themselves? Not talking to someone else. Just kind of smile as you're sitting in the car to leave. If your spouse has just been horribly murdered. Definitely not a good look. There were whispers and murmurs among relatives and friends immediately that perhaps Tarun could have something to do with this horrific crime. Sajani's parents, however, refused to believe that their polite and caring son-in-law was involved in their daughter's death at all. Now, in India, son-in-laws are given a ton of respect and Mm -hmm. seen with very high regard by the wife's family. Yeah. It's understandable, like, they wouldn't immediately think of Tarun as the the criminal in this case because mm-hmm. in their mind, he's, you know, he's their son-in-law. He couldn't yeah. have done this. And it's only been a day, so they need time to f- grieve and mourn the loss of their daughter first. And because he had never given them a reason to suspect him, 
it wasn't the first thing that came to their mind. So I totally understand. The police did see enough red flags at the crime scene, though. And from speaking to family and friends of Sajni, they definitely wanted to interrogate Tarun. They asked him to report to the police station for further questioning the next day. This is normal, and it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that the person is a suspect just yet. However, in the heart and mind of the guilty, this must be a terrifying moment. The fear of being caught must be looming over their heads. Tarun too felt this pressure and I I imagine he was panicked because he sought the advice of a lawyer at once. He was instructed by the lawyer to cooperate with the police and do everything as they requested. After speaking to the lawyer, Tarun went to the bank and withdrew whatever cash he could and vanished into thin air. What? No. He was untraceable. Okay. He was untraceable for the next 15 years. (gasps) Oh, sly little bastard. Yeah. Tarun's disappearance was highly suspicious to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. When days turned to weeks, Sajini's parents, with the help of family and friends, approached the then chief minister of Gujarat and current prime minister of India, Narendra Modi. This meeting was key in keeping the case alive for many years. Pressure from the chief minister's office kept the investigation active for nearly a decade, which is very rare in India. Mm -hmm. It's not often that decades-old cold cases are solved in India. It's almost almost never done. Like, I haven't found cold cases that are solved by Mm -hmm. police. Very, very rare. Yeah. Densely populated cities mean that the police departments struggle to handle the large volume of criminal cases coming in every year. Like Mm. 1.36 billion population. (laughs) There's going to be a bunch of criminals in there. and They're going to need a whole other state in India just to hold the evidence for all that. Yeah. Yeah. So unsolved files usually lay buried under newer ones and they just collect dust Mm -hmm. on a shelf in a dark cupboard. Never to be seen again. Sajani's unsolved murder was treated with much more care and attention than what the Ahmedabad police would typically assign to a single case. But why? For nearly a decade, they did try their best to try and trace Tarun because of pressure from the chief minister's office. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. But but why? It was an attractive case for some reason? No, Sajani's parents, they they had some connections to the chief minister at that point, right? So Narendra Modi's office put pressure on the cops. Political pressure. Okay. Just got to know the right people. You got to know people in position of power to to kind of get justice for your, for your loved ones. That's terrible. <laughs> like I said, 1.36 billion. It sounds unmanageable to me. Yeah. Definitely. Sure, there. I'm sure there are incompetent and bumbling cops all over the place, like everywhere else in the world. But I think that number does play a part in making things hard for them to solve yeah. every single crime. But if every single cop was doing their duty with utmost sincerity and integrity, I'm sure they can solve cases. It's not like they lack the resources or technology. The motivation. Well, that's actually what I was thinking. Like, they must kind of lack the resources and technology because if they could kind of, 
at this point have a, a lot of cases digitalized and I don't know, let the computers, yeah. let the computers help. <laughs> right now, they do have all the latest techniques mm-hmm. in play. However, it being applied to every case, I'm not oh, sure. I'm not sure it's yeah. being applied to every case. It depends yeah. on the uh, the commissioner of police in that mm-hmm. area, if he is savvy with all the latest techniques if he has access to those resources yeah and if he's motivated to use them mm. right like there has to be there he shouldn't be apathetic to to crime in their area yeah thankfully Sajni's case did receive some attention and they did try to trace Tarun his pictures were sent out to police stations of five different states where he had known contacts Okay. The police knew of at least one identifiable injury on his middle finger. Like he had injured it in a basketball game. <laughs> yeah, it had never healed correctly. So his finger couldn't bend fully. Okay. I can't picture it, but I guess like if you try to bend his finger, it would stay stiff. So they're just going around like pulling on people's <laughs> fingers. No. Um... He's just going around flipping the bird to everyone. Like unintentionally (laughs) did they know about asha the ex-girlfriend whose name we don't actually know yep they eventually did find out about her and they did talk to her so yeah we'll get there okay let's talk about it police extensively questioned all his contacts in madhya pradesh where his family settled and even extended family in kerala but they found no clues it was as if the person called tarun jinaraj had completely disappeared off of the face of the planet after 15th Feb 2003. Sajini's parents were now retired and in their late 70s. They were understandably unable to pursue the light of justice for their daughter with the same vigor as a decade ago. But their son-in-law, Shashi Dharan, who was married to Sajini's older sister, Rajini, he took over as the official spokesperson for the family and the legal pursuant of the case um, against the murder of Sajini. Brothers. He didn't hold, hold back when it came to putting pressure on the police department to make sure that they were working towards solving Sajini's case even decade later. In 2015, there was a change of guard. Okay. Deputy Commissioner of Police, or DCP, Deepan Badran, took charge and reviewed some high-profile cold cases that he could tackle. He... At least was taking a look at cold cases. I mean, mm-hmm. hats off for yeah. that. Yeah. I'm so glad that there are amazing cops out there like him who care about cases, even if they're old. DCP Deepa knew that a decade of searching for Tarun Junaraj and not finding a trace of him meant only one thing. I quote, both of the earlier investigating teams targeted Tarun, who has cleverly killed his real identity. It's a waste of time to target Tarun. Instead, we decided to focus on an alternative target and work towards that. Our target was Tarun's mother, Annama. Okay. DCP Deepan formed a team of officers from the crime branch of Ahmedabad, one of whom was a tenacious and detailed chasing inspector, Kiran Chaudhary. They put traces on all communication to and from Tarun's family and close friends. And this was not a small undertaking, by the way. It Mm. was a list of like 4,000 phone numbers that they were tracing now. They knew Tarun had always been 
a devoted and dutiful son. A little mama's boy. Yeah, a little mama's boy. So a small contingent of undercover constables, they rented an apartment above Annama's home in Madhya Pradesh. <laughs> yeah. They continuously and cautiously surveilled her movements and established cordial relations with everyone in the building to gather information discreetly that way. Wow. <laughs> Another team of officers posed as census data collectors for the government. They asked the neighbors about Annama's household, like who lives there and what goes on. A neighbor who was a close friend of Anama revealed that, unfortunately, Anama's husband had passed away in 2009 suddenly. And the interesting fact that she spilled out was that Anama had two sons mm -hmm. and she was in touch with both of them. Mm. Oh, shit. <laughs> we got him. Then this neighbor also told the officers that Anama made regular trips to Bengaluru and she knew two families there as well. And the second contact in Bengaluru was a lady called Nisha Menon, who lived in BTM Bengaluru with her husband, Praveen Bhatele, and their two young children. Now, the connection between Anama and Nisha wasn't very clear. How did they know each other? Mm -hmm. The eager neighbor had actually met uh, Nisha and her children when Anama had introduced them to her. Okay. Explaining that Nisha was her niece. <gasps> the police checked this lead and found it to be completely false. Anama yeah. didn't have any such niece. However, Nisha Menon was a real person with a real family. I thought this was going to be Asha for a second. Uh-uh, no. Oh. <laughs> that would been crazy. Asha. No, why would Asha be in touch with this idiot's mom? Like Because yeah. it was the new daughter-in-law on the download. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, that's what you thought. Okay, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So from the phone taps, the police determined that Anama received calls from Bengaluru almost weekly from two different numbers. One was registered to Nisha Menon, and the other was an office phone number registered to the tech giant Oracle. Oh. Yeah. So this weekly chat session made no sense to the cops. This sounds like some mama boy stuff. <laughs> like who at Oracle could possibly be chatting away with Anama for 20 to 30 minutes every week. <laughs> Definitely a mama's boy. Yeah, it's not as if Oracle's marketing department is like, Hello, auntie. <laughs> Do you need a database? How are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> nope. That's not happening every week. Yeah. When Inspector Chaudhary sent a request to Oracle to identify this desk number, they came back with a name, Praveen Bhatele. This was Nisha's husband. So Praveen Batele was now a good lead for Inspector Chaudhary and his team to follow up on. A detailed trace on that name revealed surprising results. There was a real Praveen Batele who lived in Ahmedabad and worked as a physical education instructor. Wait, what? Curious, huh? right? The crime branch scoured the social media accounts of Nisha, but they couldn't find a single picture of her husband. It was always her and the kids, but her husband Praveen was conspicuously missing from mm. all group family photos. After gathering all these leads in 2018, Inspector Chaudhary knew that they were onto something, so he heads out to Bengaluru. He made an appointment to go meet this Praveen under some false pretext at the Oracle office. In less than 15 minutes, 
he was greeted by a man, now in his 40s, mm-hmm. dressed in preppy business casuals with a receding hairline, a well-trimmed goatee and glasses. He looked like every other tech professional in Bengaluru. <laughs> okay. Inspector Chaudhary got up, put his hand out to accept Praveen's extended right arm into a handshake. <gasps> As he held Praveen's hand, he turned it over. He wiggled the fingers. And he tried to bend Praveen's finger. <laughs> it wouldn't bend at all. Oh, and was shit. rigid. Eureka! This was their man. <laughs> I love that that actually caught him. Such a random, <laughs> like, fact. It's so dramatic, right? It's like almost, mm-hmm. it's like a detective novel. Again, we need to cue that dramatic Bollywood music, the, like, detective. Yeah. <laughs> so in a manner not unlike a thrilling Bollywood action movie, hey. Inspector Chaudhary, armed with unwavering confidence and authority, looked straight into Praveen's eyes and said, Hi, Tarun. I am Inspector Kiran Chaudhary from the Ahmedabad crime branch. Come on, let's go. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Tarun was in complete shock, but he complied with the crime branch team and exactly as they asked, he left with them. He called his wife and simply said, I'm not Praveen. My real name is Tarun. I've been arrested and I won't be coming home. Tarun was taken back to Ahmedabad Once he was formally charged, cases were registered against him under sections 302, 304B, 498, and 2110 for murder, demands for dowry. He was charged with a bunch of things related to the murder. Fraud and murder, basically, sounds like. Tarun's interrogation proved to be quite easy, and he was eager and willing to talk. So Tarun had completely stolen the identity of a real person called Praveen Bhatele. Who was a PE teacher. Yeah, they had actually studied in the same college. They were studying physical education in the same college. When Tarun was on the run after he committed the crime, he had stayed with Praveen for a few weeks. Praveen wasn't aware that Tarun was on the run and the police were looking for him because it was only a few weeks after. Tarun stole all of Praveen's original education documents and other identity documents, which he quickly used to get a passport made in Praveen's name, but with his own picture. Wow. What did Praveen think he was visiting for? Um, I wonder what his backstory was, um, Tarun. Yeah, he probably said, hey, I'm, I need a job. Can you help me out? You know, we were old college buddies. Give me a job, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Never trust your old college buddies. That's the lesson to be learned here. (laughs) They're all murderers. (laughs) They're all murderers. They're all murderers. He used that identity of Praveen Batele and established himself as a tech professional. He moved to Pune and worked at Oracle's Pune office, where he met Nisha Menon. Okay. So what happened with Asha, though? Like... He did all this for this other woman and he ends up with a a third whole other person? Mm Mm-hmm. What the hell? Yeah. They were married in a year after which they moved further south to the bustling high-tech city of Bengaluru. It is the third most densely populated city in India, which makes it ideal for a fraudulent identity-carrying criminal who may want to hide in plain sight. Yeah. Mm. Tarun had managed to lay, lay out such a convincing new life on Praveen's name 
that he even passed the visa interview and checks to travel to the United States. Oh, wow. And he traveled there not once or twice, but three times over the years. What? Yes. Oh, well, that just goes to show. U.S. uh, Border Patrol. Homeland Security, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Come on, guys. the TSA. (laughs) How'd you not catch this guy? We shouldn't say that. We're we're both going to (laughs) get... I'm not going to be let back in. You're going to get kicked out. (laughs) No, I mean, I... We're just kidding. You're great. Homeland Security... Never made any mistakes ever. Maybe we all look the same to them, so they're like, "Oh, yeah, he looks, he looks like Praveen, sure." (laughs) 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 Whatever. Just calling it like we see it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, he was able to fly three times here, so I mean, he really did a good job. I guess so. Building this new fake life. What about the original Praveen? I guess there must be a lot of Praveen Bateles Bateles out there. I wonder what, like, what if the real Praveen suddenly decided to go get a passport made? Like, would this identity theft have surfaced then? I don't know. Like, what, do they yeah. do they check the documents submitted? Like, hey, wait a minute. We already have this mm-hmm. for a previous passport. He just needed to go on one vacation. We would have found this guy so much sooner. Praveen, why didn't you just want to go to Jamaica or something? You could have solved this crime. Too dedicated to his physical educating. Mm-hmm. So in the weeks prior to the murder, Tarun had slowly transferred sums of money out from Sajni's joint account and put it into his own account. And he had taken possession of her gold jewelry bit by bit over the weeks. He had also bought a new car using Sajni's savings. Oh my God. While she was alive, he was doing all of this. Yes. And she knew? Yeah. Because she did tell her parents, right? Like, all he's interested in doing seems to be spending my money. But, I mean, that's normal. Big yikes. Okay. So on the 13th of Feb, Tarun and Asha, his ex-GF, exchanged gifts. This is so (gasps) gross. Mm. I am sorry. Like, Asha, this was very shitty of you to do. Like, you knew he was married. Why the hell are you exchanging gifts with this guy? Not cool. Not cool. Sorry, Asha. Asha. Yeah. You are a shitty person. That's my that's my ruling on Asha. Okay. He gave her a digital diary and she gave him a wallet. I don't know if it was uh-huh. just friendship or were they actually having a full blown out extra marital affair. We don't know. We don't know. Mm. They were still in contact and they were giving each other gifts. So. Yeah. Gross. So on the day of the murder, at 7.30 a.m., Sajni was getting ready to leave. Tarun leaves the apartment. He makes sure to go out and meet and greet the neighbors stepping out of their homes to fetch newspapers and milk, as they do. Alibi. He somehow manages to sneak back into the building and his apartment, where Sajni was getting ready. He said that he came up behind Sajni and strangled her with her own dupatta, which was lying on the bed. It's just cold. Yeah, yeah. So cold. He was determined. Like, he made a plan. This was premeditated. It was not, again, it wasn't a crime of passion. No. Then he messed up the house to make it appear like a robbery, and he quickly slipped out when nobody was looking. He went over to his brother's home. He invited them and came back to feign his dramatic discovery and fainting spell. The fainting spell is such an added, like, little... Cinematic... 
touch. Right? Yeah. yeah. What a little drama sociopathic thing to do. Okay. Well, after Sajani's body was taken away, Tarun called Asha and told her that he had removed the rock blocking their path to happiness. Ew. He told her that he murdered Sajani. Wow, okay. What was her reaction? So when he told her about Sajani's murder, Asha wanted absolutely nothing to do with him anymore. And she broke off all relations with him. So not the shittiest person. Just not the best. Mistakes were made. Yeah, she wasn't complicit in the murder. Complicit, yeah. Mm -hmm. She might have been a shitty person, but she wasn't a criminal. And she wasn't devious or evil. Now, this ex-girlfriend, Asha, has not been named a suspect in the case. And it appears that she didn't know what Tarun had planned to do. She wasn't an accomplice in the crime from any angle. She did totally cut off and break off with him after she heard about the murder. Um, Another weird parallel. I forget what was the other parallel between, oh, the, like, Biren and Tarun, like, con Mm -hmm. artist sort of, like personality but the bad presence oh yeah (laughs) a digital diary he gave her a digital diary what is that even i was like the last time i saw a digital diary was 1998 it might be the original ipad it's a fun thing for like kids but he gave this to like a 20 something year old i don't know what what she would do with it (laughs) yeah Sajani's brother-in-law, P.K. Shashidharan, he has vowed to fight this till all the accomplices in Tarun's disappearance get charged, especially his mother, Anama. <laughs> Anama knew, yeah, she knew the whole time about Tarun's whereabouts. Like, she had even arranged for Tarun to meet his father as a surprise in 2009. The family had planned to go to a religious retreat in Kerala where Tarun and his family would meet Anama and her husband, so it was supposed to be a surprise. Unfortunately, Tarun's father had heart issues. And when he saw the face of Tarun at his doorstep, all of a sudden, after so many years, he suffered a massive heart attack, which took his life. (gasps) Wait, really? So he kind of killed two people. Yeah, he killed his father. (gasps) Wow. Yikes. Well, I'm sad that his father passed away, but... I'm sad that his father passed away, but I kind of respect the reaction. Like, the mother was able to sort of, you want to have sympathy because it's your child. And, like, Mm. yeah, he made a very, very bad mistake. But probably, like, instead of setting the example that, oh, no, just move on with your life and get away with it. Mm. She could have, like, given him the better advice to uh, give himself up and, like, face justice. Yeah. Uh, But the dad was just like, no. Mm Mm-hmm. I cannot. That's crazy, though. Well, Anama was also accused by Sajani's family of troubling her for dowry after marriage. What? The legal case still continues on in court today, and Tarun is expected to be sentenced like anywhere from 20 years to life for his crimes. Okay. So I hope they throw the book at him and he gets what he deserves. He got to live like 
a nice free life after he took this, what was she, 26 years old? Yep. And he got to live another 20 years of freedom. And you know what? Mm -hmm. I think even in his heart, he knows that if he goes to jail for the rest of his life, he still got to live a life. He got to get married and have children and have a job and everything. Mm. Yeah, no. He formed and ruined another family. Yeah. Yeah. Those poor kids. To him, he must have just been daddy. Dad. Yeah. My dad, he goes to work every morning, he picks us up after work, we go out on weekends, and bam, now he's a murderer. Uh-huh. Poor kids. I feel sorry for the kids and Nisha Menon too. Like, she she didn't ask for this. She didn't deserve this. Nope. This, this horrible piece of shit, Tarun, has just left so many, so many people in pain and in a life of misery. Yeah. And they all deserve justice, so... I hope, yeah, I hope he gets sentenced. I wonder if he celebrated Valentine's Day with his wife. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be messed up? That is messed up. They did say that he picked that day specifically to kill Sajani because it was a Valentine's Day gift for Asha (gasps) that he was going to kill Sajani. Yikes. Oh. What a freaking loser i hate him so much right now maniac it's such a strange phenomenon like when seemingly normal people they stumble onto like evil paths to commit murder like he doesn't strike me as a psychopath but it was premeditated crime Mm -hmm. but for the simple purpose of getting rid of a spouse for a new girlfriend like we see the, the same selfish motive and evasion tactics in so many cases, like those of convicted killers like Scott Peterson or Chris Watts, mm-hmm. where they murdered their wives for a new girlfriend. Like, yeah. what is wrong with these horrible men? Like, why don't well, they just suck it up, file for divorce? If it's not amicable, whatever. Yeah, Let it go to court. Figure it out. This might be somewhat related to the whole, like, mama's boy personality, too. You don't get what you want, so you act out. Everything Mm. is allowed to you. People who don't understand consequences and who think that they're above it all. Yeah. Their ego is just so inflated that they figure, fine, we'll just get rid of this little problem. Yeah. And then our life will be golden after. Mm -hmm. Just get out. Like, you don't have to commit murder. You could pretty much do everything he did minus the murder. Just disappear. Disappear, yeah. Go away. Move to Fiji. Almost thinks that his mom was in on it because she wanted the dowry money or something. Mm. And she maybe couldn't have gotten it if he disappeared without the murder. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe she helped him right from the start. We don't know if she was complicit in this in any way. Yeah. Yeah, they're all just shitty people. These two people, at least we know. These two guys are definitely on our uh, South Asia shit list. Yeah. (laughs) They deserve all the curses we can afford on this show without getting struck. (laughs) Violent language. Okay. So that was it. (laughs) That was the Sajani Krishnan Valentine's Day murder case from 2003. There were a surprising number of twists and turns for me, but then when I look back, I can only imagine how many Bollywood movies there are that actually, like, shot for shot respond to this case, coincide with this case. 
So for the Bollywood corner today, I found two movies that have elements of infidelity and murder. They are not connected to this case or play out in the same way as this case does. Mm-hmm. The theme is infidelity and murder. Okay. The two I'm recommending today are quite thrilling. They're decently made and they're entertaining to watch. The first one is called Murder 3. This is a third <laughs> installation in a series of movies called Murder. All the movies are not related to each other. It's like an anthology almost. Okay, so we don't need to watch Murder 1 and Murder 2. Just Murder 3. You should. Okay. They are entertaining well, movies. Sign me up. Um, but they're not related. You don't need to watch one to enjoy the other. So Murder 3 is a 2013 Hindi psychological thriller. It's a remake of a fantastic, unique Colombian movie called The Hidden Face. Ooh. So a couple, they move into a beautifully restored mansion and the wife discovers a secret room which has one-way mirrors looking into the bedroom and the bathroom. <gasps> Ew. The husband doesn't know about this. She discovers it on her own. And of course, like a bumbling fool, she gets trapped in there, unbeknownst to her playboy Uh-oh. husband. <gasps> oh, I can see where this is going. That's, I mean, convenient for the two-way mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to give out any more details. You have to watch the movie to find out what happens next. Yeah, Murder 3. Go watch it. Okay. The next movie that I'm recommending is Ittefaq. It's a 2017 police procedural starring Akshay Kanna as the skeptical investigator who has to crack the case of murder in a home invasion type scenario where everything is not as it seems. Yeah, I believe it's pronounced what the fuck? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what the fuck? It, it, it the, the fuck? fuck. It the fuck, okay. It the fuck means coincidence. In this movie, a man suspected in the murder of his wife is on the run and he barges into the home of a woman called Maya just to kind of get away from the cops. He doesn't know her. He just barges into her house. Something fishy happens, and this suspect now finds himself entrapped in yet another murder, which he may or may not have committed. Interesting. Out of the frying pan into the fire type situation. Yeah. So, yeah, watch uh, It the Fuck to see what happens next. Okay, adding it to my list. Yeah, and that is it for our short Bollywood corner for this episode. You can find references to everything I mentioned in the show notes on our website. And you can also find a few pictures of Tarun and Sajni on our Instagram. You can write to me at crimesfromtheeast at gmail.com and follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to tell your friends, (laughs) tell your enemies. And even that (laughs) pestering neighborhood auntie who keeps asking you when you're getting married. (laughs) Tell her to. Grab your kids. Grab your wife. They're telling murder (laughs) stories out here. (laughs) Awesome research, Pia. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing the story. I had a lot of fun finding my way through the, you know, different strands of this strange and dark web. Of murder. Of murder. The husband did it. <laughs> I guess we need to find a case where the husband surprisingly didn't do didn't it. Didn't do Just it. to mix it up for once. Mm-hmm. All you husbands yeah. out there, stop murdering your wives. Leave us alone. 
<laughs> All right. Well, this is Pia and with me is Alex and we shall see you next week in another episode of True Crime with a little masala and spice. Namaste. Namaste.